Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Working in the Weeds, a podcast from the UFIFAS Center for Aquatic and Invasive Plants. My name is Jay Farrell, and sitting across from me, as always, Christine Krebs. Hello, everybody. Well, today we have a very special guest. We have uh, the man of a thousand hats with us, Travis Thompson. Uh, at any given time, he is a fishing guide, a duck hunting enthusiast, a social media influencer, and everything in between. But we're looking forward to having a great conversation with Travis today. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're so excited. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I'm a big fan, honestly. When I found out about you coming here to record with us and then us recording with you, I was just like, oh my gosh, the Travis Thompson. Um, so it's pretty exciting to have you here at the table. I'll be doing autograph after the show. Well, when we first started this conversation, I said, Christine, I think we need to have Travis in. And she said, you think we can get him? Yeah. He was able to work me in. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you here today. Um, so you wear all these hats that Jay alluded to. I also have heard that you wear the Swifty hat as well. Yeah, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. Huge Taylor Swift fan. I love that. I love that. Saw her in concert. I saw her in concert in April in Tampa. Tampa. Okay. Absolutely. You're on your own, kid, and the Great War were our surprise songs. <laughs> I'm not like a casual Swifty. I'm a diehard. My wife is also a Swifty. Like you're, are... you're a deep tracks guy. Yeah. I oh, yeah. The, I see the uh, bracelets. Like, I know the bracelets. lyrics to the lakes and stuff like that. Like, oh. I'm a real deal Swifty. I'm not like, you know, just a uh, blank space kind of guy. <laughs> I respect that okay. and appreciate it. I just, um, I wear it. I own it. It is what it is. And speaking of all the other hats that you wear, what is your day job? What's your background? What brought you into this world of yeah, conservation? What do you actually do, Chris? <laughs> so, so, hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this because she, <laughs> she'll say nothing. Um, no, so I, I kind of have three brands that I that I, that I I deal with. So one is Cast and Blast Florida, which you guys know me from. That was the podcast. And um, that's still an active brand. We've kind of tabled it for a minute. But Cast and Blast is just a – we started as a fun podcast and and – kind of rolled with it, hunting, fishing, and got more into conservation over time. And so um, then we we have a brand called Duck Ranching, which we've evolved over the years. That's a new brand name, but I've been doing duck hunting outfitting services for eight years now. So um, we run the largest waterfowl operation in the state. We partner with ranchers. There's a lot of conservation talk in there. And then in both of those brands, in both of those kind of the development of those things, I got really wrapped around the conservation world because without conservation taking place, I don't get to hunt ducks. I don't get to go fishing. I don't get to do all the stuff I want to do. And so we created a nonprofit arm that's called All Florida. And what we do there is we advocate for all things conservation kind of across the board. We don't speak to, stick to species specific or sportsman specific. We try to play in a lot of different spaces. And the analogy I use is a lot of conservation stuff. You're talking about a piece on a chessboard. We try to look at the board. And, and be strategic about how we're looking at the pieces that are getting moved around out there. And so oftentimes we're not the lead on stuff. We're the second or third group in the pool. And as part of that, we're able to support a fisheries group or a hunting group or just a land conservation movement or whatever. We worked with the wildlife court or we worked with a whole bunch of groups around the state. And so I got into that. Honestly, if I was being, I, no, everybody's rebellious kid, right? But like for me, my dad was, a, a longtime state employee for DEP, even back to DER before it was DEP. And so I kind of grew up in a house where conservation and viewing things through that lens were kind of the, 
I can, we joked, my dad would always lecture us and you sit around the dinner table and listen to him talk about sludge or waste management. Like there were all these conversations. I'm sure your kids are the same way, right? Well, so it was just always a second language that you, you understood from the beginning. Exactly. You just didn't, it was just who you were. And then we grew up hunting, fishing, camping. When we went on vacation, we didn't leave the state. We went to deer camp in the winter. We went to my uncle's farm in the winter. We went to, we went to the beach in the summer, but we, we really never left Florida much. I mean, I, remember I was talking to my dad the other day and I think we left Florida like twice before I graduated high school. So everything I did was Florida centric. And I view that lifestyle, that way of life as kind of being endangered from a change perspective, mm. almost slipping away, slipping away. And so I, I kind of fight hard for that, whatever connects to that. Yeah. And being a fellow podcaster, what inspired you to say, you know what, it's time to record conversations and, and start Cast and Blast? So I started Cast and Blast for fun because at the time there was no one doing hunting, fishing, Florida specific. And so I started with a friend of mine. My friend moved to Atlanta. So for a long time, we did it with him in Atlanta and he still joins us from time to time and he's a lifelong Floridian. But we did it because there was a space, an empty space. And I thought, well, let's, let's see what we can put in that and have a good time with it. And over time, you begin to have some level of influence with an audience that's following along. Like I would imagine in your world, a lot of your audience is scientists, a lot of it's extension type folks. And so you have some level of influence with them where you can disseminate information. And I've always felt like if you have a platform, you should use that responsibly. Like you should use it for good. And so that was actually not to steal where we're going with this conversation, but that was actually kind of how I got into the, the spray conversation was as a waterfowl guide with a platform in Florida, I was like, why is no one going to these spray meetings? Mm -hmm. You know, why is it? That's a, that's a pretty simple mantle to pick up and go charge into. Interesting. Well, that's where I know you from is we met several years ago at public meetings. I would see you go to the microphone, but over this amount of time that I've been going to these meetings alongside of you, I've seen your position refine. I wouldn't say that it has changed, but I would say that you've really refined your position over the last several years. So what were some of the aha moments and what were some of the nuggets that you picked up along the way to really form where you are now and, and, and have this understanding of the, of the situation now? I would say that I've changed. <laughs> um, when, when we first started the podcast, it was before the spray pause, before the herbicide use pause. And that was 2019. Would have been 2019. Yeah, January. Uh, actually, we, tw we started the podcast in 20, right after Irma. So 2017 oh, is the, when we started. Okay, the, and the, the pause, pause was The pause was in 19. Okay. January, January. January, February of yeah. 19. Right. And so um, I will say I was an uninformed but passionate consumer. I would agree and with that's, that. That's, that's, like so that's where are. I was. I was, a, I was an yeah. uninformed yeah. but passionate consumer. I look... Uh, we, we, we like to boil things down to hashtags or anything else in this day and age. And I looked and stopping spraying seems like a good idea to me, right? Like that, that makes sense. It adds up. That's easy to get behind. So let's go do it. I've, my lake is not as good as it was last year. It's not as good as it was three years ago. It's not as good as it was 10 years ago. What have you done to it? So I started showing up at these meetings and I've never been a belligerent person. I've always been a pretty respectful question asker. So I would go to these meetings and try to ask questions, try to make suggestions, try but what changed for me was I started to meet people that were making the decisions. One thing that I've hopefully always been good at is being inquisitive and listening. And so I can, I will never forget, it was after a Kissimmee Chain of Lakes meeting. He doesn't work for the agency anymore, but Mark McBride was there. He was a waterfowl biologist. And he pulled me aside and he introduced me to Ryan Hamm and he introduced me to a number of folks from after Danielle Kirkland was there. And he's like, man, we need to talk more about 
what you're saying here because I think your heart's in the right place. I'm paraphrasing, but maybe you don't have all the information for what you're talking about. Because I'd go to the microphone, I'd say, man, you're spraying glyphosate everywhere and it's causing cancer. Like I read a headline somewhere and I, I knew stuff now. I didn't know anything. I, I had some talking points that probably weren't accurate, probably weren't. And so over time, as you begin to talk to those people, what you heard was everyone that I was talking to cared deeply about these natural resources. They all hunted. They all fished. If they didn't hunt fish, they kayaked. They took their family to the springs. They, they, they were out there in it all the time. That's why they got into natural resource management was they loved it. And so what conspiracy is going on to where all this group of people somewhere conspired behind the scenes to destroy this thing that they all individually, independently of each other love, that doesn't add up or make sense. And so you start talking to them and listening to them and it, it's a very different conversation. So your first aha was the humanity piece behind the decision making. So basically you pulled, you're able to pull the curtain open and see that there are true people back there that are passionate and lifelong users of the resource. So that was your first sort of changing of your mindset in this space. I will hundred percent. You guys are familiar with ICAST, the, the fishing show? Yeah. The huge, yes. It's the, it's the fishing industry's trade show. Yes. 15, 20,000 people come every year. I bought a ticket to ICAST the first year I had a podcast because I wanted someone from FWC to come on my podcast and talk about spraying because I was going to solve the problem. We were going to solve the spray problem. Yeah, overnight. Yeah. One, like, one podcast. How hard can this be? Like, has anyone asked one of them to be on? Like, let's sit down with them, talk about it, and we'll figure it out. Yeah. And ironically, I think it took about three years before through relationships and networking and everything else, I had someone from FWC come on and willing to talk about spraying because we view agencies, universities, state agencies, whatever, as these black boxes. It's easy for me to love or hate whatever that brand is. It's way harder for me to hate Jay or Christine because I get to know you. I get to talk to you. I have a meal with you. You begin to develop that relationship and you start to understand there's nuance and layers to that doesn't mean we're always going to agree on what the decision is, but there's nuance and layers, and I can respect why you make those decisions you do. Yeah, and and I guess one of the other things, this these layers that you're talking about, you've realized, and a, and a term that I've stolen from you is binary thinking, mm -hmm. right? Always thinking that this action leads to this effect 100% of the time across the board, and if I just got my way, I would have everything I would ever want, but we know that's not how life is, right? There's always pros and cons to every decision. So in your journey as a leading voice and influencer in this conservation conversation, how do you help people or are you in a place now where you're helping people understand, guys, get on board with the fact that everything's on a continuum. There's layers to this. So how do you feel that you've been able to successfully talk people through your journey? Oh, man. I never feel like I'm successful at anything. <laughs> That's probably what makes me do the stuff I do is I never feel like I'm good at it. It's like you just want to keep being better. Um, but there are, have been some success stories in that that you've seen. And, and even, man, as, as recently as a few months back, I was able to go on a, on a pretty popular fishing show and discuss spraying. And, and I'm not a spray expert. I'm not an herbicide expert. I'm not a scientist at all. But I'm able to sit down and have this a very nuanced conversation. And I think just societally, we've lost the ability to sit down and have conversations because none of this stuff is 
binary. None of it is right. black, white. It's way gray all the way around. And so we could pick any lake system. And this is the conversation I have a lot. We pick any lake system. And in my mind, I want Lake Kissimmee to look like it did in 2003. You can't make it look that way year after year after year. It's a, it's a very dynamic system. And so it's going to be up and down. It's going to change. So maybe once every eight years, it can look like it did in 2003, but it can't look like that all the time. Well, and what I always find funny about that type of comment is someone else may want it to look like 2023 right. every year. While you are desiring 2003, there's someone else, man, if it can just be 2023 forever. So there's all this push pull because beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? And we, we have this construct of, I want it to look my way every year. You want it to look your way every year. And we can't figure out that maybe on a five-year cycle or a seven-year cycle or a 10-year cycle, I don't know what the number is. And it's probably very different for every system out there. It may look like we want it to, but there's going to have to be these ups and downs and ebbs and flows because we're talking about a natural thing and a dynamic system where we don't control even a lot of the variables that we think we can control. Yeah. Well, weather and hurricanes make a lot of things look very different. Right. And after that genie is out of the bottle, it takes a long time to put it back in. It's exactly right. So basically what I'm hearing from you is where you are meeting people, it's helping them understand and trust the process that there are real people and that a lot of things just are right. And there's no perfect. It just is. So I guess you're feeling that that is where we start. Before we go into the science conversation, we have to just at least meet on that common ground. Well, I think, again, not not a scientist, but I think if you even look at like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you have to meet basic human needs and some of that's relationship, right? And so we don't do a good job necessarily when we get into our camps of connecting with people at a human level. And I feel like that's where we miss out. And so I, I kind of, one of the things I say a lot behind the scenes, and I say this on the all Florida camp a lot is we want to create conservationists for, for me, a conservationist is probably someone that duck hunts, someone that fishes, someone that, you know, spends their Saturday mornings in a blind somewhere for you. It might be somebody that on Saturday morning, they want to go kayak the Springs and bird watch or whatever. I think those are both right. Mm -hmm. I think those are both very important things. And we need more people that appreciate natural things, but also the process that we have to go through. Uh, I had a conversation and we were doing a bunch of podcasts earlier and I had a conversation about what is conservation versus preservation and conservation is seeking the proper use of a resource. And so that means we don't want to use it all up. We want to manage it. So for me, it's an easy example, right? I, I want to be able to shoot ducks. I don't want to shoot all of them, but I don't want to not shoot any of them. I want to figure out what the balance is and be able to do that. And I think for people, for me, it's really about figuring out what your conservation ethic is. Like, where do you fit into the conversation and how does it apply to you and how can you influence whatever the the part that you care about is, be it bird watching, be it fishing, be it whatever. Well, I like how you just use that word influence, because at the end of the day, that's our, that's our goal and objective is to be able to have our voice heard. And one of the things I've noticed about you over time is the way you would interact at a public meeting, for example, has shifted. And it seems like you have learned the landscape and you have really learned how to be a better influencer with time. So what are some of the things you've learned and what would you tell somebody that is new to this space on what are some of the lessons you've learned? The, the first lesson you always learn in any kind of situation like that is you catch more flies with honey. 
Sure, like, sure. Just being nice is a is a major deal. Like I don't care what the what the organization you're talking to is, what the public forum is, being respectful, speaking to them, it carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of weight because they're going to hear you. They may disagree with you, you may think you're crazy, but they're going to hear what you said. And that I, I always, I almost always try to bring levity to a conversation. Try to not forget that we're human and we have a good sense of humor. And so, like, let's break the tension <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like, if you can diffuse tension, you can usually get a reaction from some kind of decision maker somewhere because they heard the joke that you made or, or whatever. Those are kind of the low hanging fruit. For me, I think the biggest shift is I got really into game theory. <laughs> and if you get into game theory, like if you if you if you really study that. Like there's, there's decisions and trees and human behavior that you can look at and you know, you know, on certain topics, like that's not a winning strategy or that's not a, that's not a. So you're talking about playing Monopoly, knowing where to put your hotels versus the, what property to buy. That's essentially, well, I mean, so you talk about, we, we were kind of outlining earlier, we talked about wins and losses and um, there's a book out there right now. It's, it's a buzzy book. It's, it's the infinite game. It's by Simon Sinek. And he talks about how the idea is not to win, it's to continue to play. And so we make these decisions to stay in the game versus I want to win. Because maybe for me today, a win is to not get you to do a treatment on a lake. That's a win. That's not really a win because that we didn't, the game's not over. The lake still exists and tomorrow somebody's going to have to make a decision about a management strategy. So you have to shift kind of how you look at it. And if you can shift how you look at it and you look at it through and I'm, I'm talking big picture now, if you look at it through a game theory lens, there are decisions you can make that start to maybe shift how you look at it. And now I'm like, well, we, we're going to have a good season duck hunting next year. If we can make, if we can help the agency to understand that we need this to happen, or we'll have a better fishing season next year. If we work with the agency on this and maybe we give something up over here, or maybe we change this over there. So instead of having a good game, you're wanting to figure out how do we have a better career? Correct. That's exactly right. Well, that is a good way to look at it and helping people understand that it is about the long game and it is about the resource at the end of the day, that's, rather than a victory at a public meeting. That's right. And, you know, I've done that. I've walked out of a meeting before and say, yeah, we won. Let's post this on social media and rile people up. And that's a really good way to raise funds. It's not a really good way to do conservation work long term. It just isn't. Yeah. So it's not to say there aren't wins and losses, but there's definitely maybe you won an inning. You didn't win the baseball game like it's going to keep going. There's no scoreboard on this. So you talk about this sort of long game and, and sustaining the conversation for conservation. What are some examples of bringing together diverse groups that appreciate Florida's natural environment and kind of bringing sort of collaboration to the table as well? I'll give you kind of the latest one. So, so I've mentioned duck ranching as a, as a brand and the duck hunting thing that we do. Um, so I, I part, my, my partner in that venture is a, is a gentleman named Matt Pierce. Okay. Yeah. And do you know Matt? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Matt is, he's past president of Florida Cattlemen's Association. He's an incredible guy, 39th generation rancher or something. Um, but just cares deeply about Florida, mm -hmm. about his way of life, about Florida. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to say it. And so, we kind of partnered on this venture a few years back. And so, uh, you know, we manage land. He manages land for cattle, but then we work through various funding opportunities. He works through funding opportunities through like NRCS, the farm bill and uh, federal and state programs that, to get the land enrolled in conservation programs. And so then we also manage the land for waterfowl. So we, we are able to hold water. We're able to manage water a little bit on the land and you can benefit conservation wise. You can get water clean using plants on 
ranch land. And, and as part of that, you know, we were able to then to run hunts, which generate a revenue for myself, but also the landowner, the, the rancher. And we've seen even conservation benefits there around species like snail kites. Okay. You know, we've seen we've seen birds come in and build huge nesting colonies on these ranch lands. And so it's a little bit of this dynamic of the whole thing. If you took hunting out of the equation, there's no reason to have that water there. If you have hunting in, you've got reason to have water there. Now you've got snail kites there. And so the birding community, UFIFIS has been out there and done research with us on that. The wildlife corridor is a big buzzword yeah. in the state. We talk about the corridor all the time. Most of the corridor moving forward will be on private land acquisitions through easements. And if we can give those ranchers, an easement's a great tool, but if we can give them other tools for revenue and allow more people to see that land, maybe tangibly they can connect with something they care about in conservation, be it a frog or toad that I don't know exists or a fern or a plant that you guys love or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what that thing is, but if we can figure out a way for people to connect with conservation on that land, they'll care more about it. And so duck ranching is kind of a step in that direction of can we can we tie more things yeah. together with ag and with conservation. Like a symbiotic relationship across user groups. And yeah, it's exactly right. Well, also just bringing more people to the table. You were talking about looking at one piece versus looking at the board. This sounds like a concept that's putting more pieces on the board. Mm. It's exactly right. That's, that's, really that's cool. what we try to do. And it, it could open doors to agritourism. Yeah. Like, it could open doors to payment for ecological services for endangered species. I mean, there's lots of things you could stack there. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're all, we all love Florida. If I can keep that land in ranching and I can keep accessing it to do the things I love, it's going to benefit everyone because you're going to have, I mean, we've seen panthers on that property. We've seen bears on that property. We've seen so many things out there and it's just, it's a unique space. So how can we lather rinse repeat that maybe? Yeah, that's And that's really kind cool. of the part of the goal of duck ranching is we've begin to work with other landowners over time that have approached us and said, we really like the model because we, we try to price it as affordably as we can so more people can come behind the gate. Nice. The accessibility of it is important too. Then. Well, there's a PR aspect of yeah. that, right? Like if I'm, I'm being altruistic a little bit, but I'm also saying like, what's the offset for ag for allowing these people to come past that gate and be able to see the story of what we're doing? Yeah. Well, and agriculture is not anti-conservation. No. And this tells that story in a very tangible way while people are there seeing the ducks, seeing the water, seeing the cows, seeing the snail kite. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's really a great example of like partnership and bringing more people to the table. Um, so, you, you know, bringing it back to kind of these public meetings and how you kind of initially got started with this conservation conversation, um, you don't really shy away from controversy. You have a really big personality. It's fun to hang out with you and, and have a conversation. Um, you're considered like this thought leader, influencer in conservation. Um, so it takes a special type of person to kind of get that going and, and see it through. Um, but what advice would you give to people, especially younger audiences or those new to Florida, about how to get involved and to make a difference or participate in the conversation? Oh, my gosh. That's a yeah, hard it's one. A big well, one. Not everybody can start a podcast. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah and and <laughs> I I use the term. So I'm an Aldo Leopold guy. And, and Aldo Leopold always talked about the land ethic. And so I've co-opted. Aldo Leopold, me and him, I think we're the two big thought leaders in conservation right now. <laughs> Aldo Leopold, I just I, say it. Yeah, I'm just, I don't want to. I mean, me and Aldo. But um, I've, I've started using that term. I said it a minute ago, a conservation ethic. Yeah. And I think for most people, it's determining what is your conservation ethic. What's the thing you care about? 
it's a hard entry point to say to someone, can you come to this meeting on a Thursday in Tallahassee? Yeah. That's that's a pretty high bar of entry. Even if it's a thing you care about deeply, that's a pretty high bar of entry. Middle of the week, 250 miles away on a Thursday. Probably need a hotel room. Got to mm-hmm. take a day off work. Like, I have the flexibility in my schedule to be able to do that. Not everybody does that. Now, there are times when you might need to do that if it's the thing that you care the most about. But- most people can't do that because it's just it's just really hard to do. So where's the bottom shelf? Where's the entry point? Where's the foyer to this to right. this whole conversation? And it could be as simple to me as picking up trash. It could be as simple to me as just taking the initiative to get outside and connect somehow with wildflower. One of the things we encourage people to do is to mentor someone in the outdoors. Mm. So take someone on a hunt, take someone on a hike, take someone on a fishing trip, whatever, and show them Florida through your eyes. Like not to be reductive, but we're at University of Florida today. Your family comes to to school the first time when you're here for family day, you want to show them around. You want to show off like, this is where we eat. This is where we hang out. This is where we go to the football games. You want to show them that stuff, take someone outdoors and show them this stuff through your lens and they'll care about it more. And so I think there's, we tend to think of conservation in terms of operating in a meeting. Like that's, that's a lot of what I talk about is policy work and that kind of stuff. That's not fun. I enjoy it, but it's not fun. Like most people don't enjoy that. So can you figure out a way or an entry point for you that is a place into that? Because there's lots of programs out there, lots of great organizations out there you can plug into. So and with this, how would you advise a young conservationist to not get discouraged? Because there's so much information out there that is just really disparaging about this group isn't doing enough or this group is doing it wrong and I'm the only one that's right. And it is extremely discouraging with time. So where do these people need to be finding their information? What do they need to be consuming to help them grow, but not make them jaded? Oh man, that's a, that's a loaded question too. Cause if you could figure that out, you could well, solve a lot of societal well, problems. There, right? there, there's not a answer, but you know this space very well. So where, what are some resources? Where would you direct people? You know, what's, what's the first meal they should enjoy on this trip? Oh my gosh. I, I, I think first off, I'll say this. Obviously, I'm on your show. Working in the Weeds is a great podcast. I think podcasts are a great entry level. That's why I started. Like, it's not why I started, but that's kind of how I ended up going where we went with Cast and Blast was it was a great entry level. And so people can put that on when they go to the gym. They can listen to it and they can gather information. You can make up your own mind, but you can line up expert after expert after expert and you can learn something while you're on the treadmill or whatever. I think that is like ground zero for this kind of stuff. Some people learn from reading. Some people learn from TikTok or YouTube videos or whatever. For me, podcasts aren't going anywhere because it's audible. You can always listen to it driving up and down the road. So I think that's a simple entry point. Um, My my IFAS extension, uh, Polk and, and Pinellas have a great one called Naturally Florida. Yeah. I've sent that to a billion people because I learned from it that I was getting rid of lightning bugs in my yard by raking the leaves. And I, I leveraged that with my wife. I was like, look, we got to leave the leaves out here because <laughs> we'll have more lightning bugs. So there's a lot of benefits there besides just the natural ones. Also, I'm getting like less work. But <laughs> it's a win-win. There's, there, uh, the University of Florida is doing it. Uh, uh, Dr. Lashley is doing a great one yeah. on deer. Like there's there's some really good stuff out there. Southern Fire Exchange does good yes, podcasts on, do. on fire management. I think there's... Lots of places there where you can then start to – a conservation ethics not a thing you just say, okay, I've got one now. This is it. It's a thing that's going to evolve over time. 
Yeah. Tomorrow it may be picking up trash at your local lake. Five years from now, it may be teaching a class on, you know, impacts of runoff and storm. Like who knows what that'll be for you. Figure out what your thing is and start doing something. Start participating. Don't just be a consumer. That's a big deal to me is to young folks. And I sound like an old man screaming on my front yard. Don't I? <laughs> to young folk, um, don't just be a consumer, like get in the game because it can feel hopeless. Like there's days where I'm like, dude, this sucks. Like this is just not great. But at the end of the day, I take great solace in the people that I found in this conversation along the way. And honestly, one of my favorite things is that Margaret Mead quote that never doubt that a small group of people change the world. It's the only thing that ever has. I tend to just hold that really close and believe that in my heart. It could be quixotic. Like it may not work. But I take a lot of hope in that. So there's days when I'm like, I quit. I allow myself to quit on Friday afternoons a lot so I can take the afternoon off. But I, there's days when I'll quit and I'm just like, no, you know what? I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to do it again because we we need to do this. We have to do this. If we love this place and, and all of us do, you got to keep showing up for it. Oh, I love that. Keep showing up. And I like the idea of figure out what your thing is and then show up for that and get involved. Lean into it. Yeah. Lean into it. Like. I guarantee you, I, I challenge people all the time, go to one meeting a year. You don't have to speak. A lot of people, public speaking is a fear. Like people are terrified. It's a of big it. deal. And I get it. And I I am very, like, I have some social anxiety stuff that I will struggle with and I push through it. Not everybody can do that. Like it's a it's a thing that you got to learn to to deal with. And so, or and maybe you can't. Go to a meeting, just sit in the back row. Just pay attention to the process and what's going on. Your eyes will be opened by what you see. And you will probably figure out the place that you care about and where you can plug into it. And I'll, I have a friend, I won't name her, but three years ago, she came to meetings with me and she would sit in the back row and she wouldn't make a comment. And at the last commission meeting, she commented on two or three items I didn't have a clue what was going on with. Like she went to an FWC meeting and had written her own comments and walked up there and read. I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to go read your comments. Like yeah. I've been public speaking for a long time. I'm comfortable doing it. But I still get nervous. Don't be afraid to write your comments down and read them. Like if they're well thought out and well reasoned, like good ideas are good ideas. Yeah. And and you'll get better. We all get better. That's that's human nature, right? You get better. So just keep showing up. Thank you so much, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate y'all having me on. Well, the the takeaway message was so strong, uh, I'm taking it away. I know. I was like, I think he dropped the mic. What am I supposed to say now? <laughs> exactly. Well, Travis, thank you for uh, coming out and entertaining us this afternoon. It's been great having your voice out there. It's always a voice that is is reasonable. It is one that has learned over time. It's a great example to us. And uh, so thanks for sharing your afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for listening to Working in the Weeds. If you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, email us at caip at ifis.ufl.edu. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you for joining us as we continue to work on turning science into solutions.